Where Ideas Launch, the podcast for the unexpected innovator. We are all incredibly creative, but maybe we've forgotten how. I've spent my career working with people from more than 150 countries, traveling the world, and experiencing cultures. And what I found? Creativity is everywhere. We've got a gargantum challenge facing us, as we need to redesign a more sustainable planet. This podcast explores modern-day innovation in the age of sustainability. I'll interview some of the most prolific thinkers, creators, and educators on their journey to create sustainable incomes and businesses. My guests and I will teach you how to be creative, create business models, and explore curiosity with the courage to level up in your career. Join me every Wednesday for a new edition of Where Ideas Launch, the podcast. Welcome to our episode. I'm excited to welcome the arms dealer to the creative revolution. Todd Henry is an international speaker on creativity, productivity, and passion for work. He's the author of The Accidental Creative, Die Empty, Louder Than Words, and Herding Tigers. Todd, welcome to Where Ideas Launch. Thanks, Catherine. It's great to be here. Wonderful to have you. So Todd, I invited you on this show first because I love your work. My personal mission is to inspire 1 million people to transcend the very notion of work, replacing it with purpose and meaningful activity. I believe your book, Die Empty, expresses this very well. So I wanted to start with one question. You talk a lot about purpose and that each of us has our own voice and needs to find it. Yet, as the world becomes more digital and interconnected, it's difficult to slow the noise and find that white space and even earn a living once you've found that white space. Mm. How would you go about guiding people who may be struggling right now to approach their search for decent and meaningful work? That is a really great question. I think so many of us right now are just struggling to survive, right? I think even the fact that anybody is able to ask the question, how do I find meaning in my work is an incredible gift. It's a blessing right now because so many people are just trying to find work or just trying to, to hold things together. So I want to start with that really strong caveat um, that, you know, it is a privileged position that we're even able to ask that question uh, right now. Um, so if, if you're not in that place, I don't want you to feel anything that I'm saying is a burden or feel as if it's in any way, um, that you're doing something wrong. I mean, we're all trying to get through to the other side of this right now. Um, that said, I think that there are little clues that are planted in our life throughout the course of our life that indicate, uh, what we're wired for the places where we're wired to add disproportionate value. I call that your sweet spot. I'm not the only one to call it that, but that's really what it is. I think it's, You know, the sweet spot on a baseball bat is the area where if you hit it with the same force, you're going to get more return. The ball's going to travel a far greater distance than if you hit it marginally off the sweet spot. And I think we each have a sweet spot. We have an area of maximum effectiveness. But many of us never find it because we don't look for the clues. We don't pay attention. Instead, we morph and mold into whatever others expect of us, which um, I think in the long term creates a situation where we live our lives bounded by the expectations of other people. And I want to be really clear. I'm not talking about the advice of other people we trust. We should listen to the advice of other people. We need other people in order to understand who we are. But at the same time, we can't live our lives bounded by the expectations of other people who uh, don't really understand how we're wired, don't understand who we are, what it is we're trying to do in the world. Um, I am of the very strong opinion that our very, very few people in the world are are called to change the world, right? 
Um, but I do believe everybody is called to change the world around them. So I believe that our, the way that we discover what we're wired to do in the world is by A, trying a lot of things, um, B, seeking to be resourceful and add value any place that we are. So whatever you're doing, whatever's in front of you, wherever you, know, you happen to be working or living or existing or relating to others, just try to add as much value any place you can, wherever you are, and just see what clicks, see what the patterns reveal about yourself. Um, I navigated my way into doing what I'm doing now um, but I didn't set out to be an author. I didn't set out to teach. I didn't set out to, you know, podcast and to create, you know, content and, and work with clients and advise leaders. And I didn't set out to do any of those things. They kind of evolved over time as I discovered the places where I was contributing the most value and I was using my gifts to serve others. So if you take that mindset of I'm going to bring as much value as I can, wherever I am and add value and be resourceful, and then pay attention to the patterns, then you're going to navigate to where you need to be. That's really interesting. I loved especially the part about saying that it's a privilege to be able to look for meaningful work. And, and probably I wanted to take a little bit of a detour on that point and ask about, you know, how can we as businesses even create that meaningful work for our, for our people? Yeah, I think, um, it, just even having the conversation <laughs> is a pretty rare thing. Um, you know, uh, most organizations aren't willing to have that conversation. They're not willing to ask people whether they feel engaged, whether they feel motivated. Uh, you know, most research would indicate that, uh, you know, a full three quarters to you know, two thirds to three quarters of people are actively disengaged at work each day. And a big chunk of that is because managers aren't seeing engagement as an objective necessarily, or they see it as an objective, but they don't know what to do about it. Um, so I, I believe that the, the first thing that we have to do is we have to have meaningful conversations with our people about moments when they feel engaged, moments when they feel disengaged. Um, how are you feeling about the work right now? Are you feeling like your core motivations are being activated in your work? Do you feel like the work that you're doing is challenging to you, but not too challenging? Do you clearly understand expectations? If not, how can I clarify expectations? You know, those kinds of conversations, we, we just, we let things go and we don't have, we're not intentional about those conversations, but we have to be intentional if we want to engage the people in our organization. And so I think that that's the first step is just having a conversation about, you know, how people are feeling and living and being inside of our organizations. Yeah, no, that's really good advice. And I want to pivot a little bit toward the sort of creative industry. So the traditionally creative industries, let's say. So the musicians, the artists, the theatrical performers. So there's an idea that they might be facing an existential crisis. I mean, some politicians have even made some interesting comments about what these people should be doing right now in terms of looking for jobs and work. Um, but yet I'm somehow excited about the idea of bringing this type of talent or this type of specialist into a traditional organization to help spread creativity. So what are your thoughts on, on how companies can go about increasing this cognitive diversity on their teams um, without, I guess, losing what they're good at in terms of efficiency? Well, I think efficiency is overrated. Um, efficiency... I believe efficiency is a mark, not a goal, right? I think, uh, you know, if we can be efficient and effective at the same time, that's great. But 
I, I will take effectiveness over efficiency any day of the week because effectiveness equates to value. It equates to creating, to accomplishing what it is we're trying to accomplish. And um, so I think one of the reasons that we typically don't like to have diversity of thought in our teams is because the way that we measure success as organizations is often how well are we managing our finite resources, right? Versus how much value are we turning those finite resources into for the people that we serve? And we have to do both, but I think we err on the side of maximizing efficiency when we need to have people with diverse patterns of thought in our conversations asking, why are we doing this? And is this the right thing? And what if we tried this? And what if we tried that? That's very inefficient in the moment, but it can be very effective in the long term. We, we measure in snapshots, not intervals. We should be measuring in intervals of effectiveness, not snapshots of efficiency, if we really want to produce the best value we can for the people that we're tasked with serving. Great response. The last question I want to ask today is how can parents raise their children to be more creative at a time when interacting with others is limited and where they have to go through this digital noise? I, I see a lot of parents struggling with the balance between screen time and sort of playtime. But even in these days when you can't interact, what do we do with our kids? Uh, I think a couple of things. First of all, you have to understand what you're what you're trying to do with your kids, right? So my, I see our job as parents, uh, my wife and I, we have three teenagers. And so we have, you know, one that'll be 18 here very shortly in less than a month. Um, you know, basically an adult, right? At least in age. Um, you know, our job is to create wise kids. Um, we want to instill wisdom in our, our kids, meaning we want them to be able to spot patterns and make good decisions based upon their experiences. Um, so in order to do that, you have to, first of all, you have to be able to spot those patterns, which means you have to be able to think deeply enough, not be distracted constantly by whatever comes across your field of view. So, uh, you know, we pretty early on in their life, like we did not let them watch TV for the first handful of months of their life, right? We didn't, um, you know, give them phones and just let them have have um, devices at the table when we went to a restaurant to keep them quiet. Like we we made them be present in the moment. We made them have adult conversations and we're starting to see the fruit of that. Now, listen, I never give parenting advice because the moment you give parenting advice, you're guaranteeing that your kids are going to, you know, take a left turn and it's going to turn out poorly you know, because that seems to be the, the, the pattern. Um, but I think, you know, understanding your objective, what are you trying to do? You're trying to create kids who are wise. So we have family dinner every night and we have conversations about what's going on in the world. We'll talk about politics. We'll talk about what happened that day. We'll talk about things we're frustrated about. We'll talk about things we're excited about. We'll talk about what's really going on with the pandemic, you know, and we expect our kids to have a point of view. We expect them to come to those conversations with some perspective, um, and I think, again, what we're trying to do is model for them how we think about things and hopefully instill a bit of wisdom in them. Um, you know, kids get anxious when you shelter them from harm, when you shelter them from bad news, when you shelter them from all the effects of the world, because the reality is they know what's going on. They suspect what's going on. And when, they, when you're not telling them, it creates anxiety because they fear that things might be actually much worse than you're letting on. So I feel like having... Um, 
you know, respectful conversations with your kids and expecting them to have a point of view, uh, even if it's an immature point of view, that's fine. Just but have a point of view and then talking with them in a, in a meaningful way about what's going on. I think it creates a tremendous amount of um, runway for them. And I think it begins to instill a bit of wisdom in them. And I think that's our objective as parents. That's really fantastic advice. I'm so glad you joined us for this talk. Probably one last question. How can people find out more about you? Yeah, the best way to find me is at my website, toddhenry.com. Um, or if you want to learn more about my new book called The Motivation Code, you can visit toddhenry.com slash mcode, and that'll take you to the assessment and all the work that we're doing on understanding what truly drives people. Wonderful. Thanks for joining us. And thanks for listening to Where I Do's Launch. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you today by the Depot Virtual Service Hub. The Virtual Service Hub is our digital transformation strategy service that supports startups needing to optimize their processes and their performance to scale up for growth. We also help medium-sized firms in modernizing their operations and our services include sustainable strategy, analytics, and tech enablement. To find out more, contact Catherine Ann Byam on LinkedIn.